All right, folks, you're here. You made it to Inside Aurelius, Episode 2. Let me tell you that we're pretty grateful to have you following along with what we're doing here on our podcast and building our product and company. This is still somewhat of an experiment with this track of our podcast, so we'd love to hear your feedback and even specific topics or questions that you'd like to hear our CTO Joseph and myself discuss on Inside Aurelius. So please send those along if you're so inclined. In this episode, Joseph and I get way more in depth about our tech stack, why we're using it, and how that's evolved over time. We also talk about how we make those kinds of decisions together, what goes into it, and some behind the scenes on exactly how we decide on certain features, technology changes or improvements, as well as even business choices. It's the same casual chat format as our first episode with brand new topics. I really hope you enjoy it. And if you do, it'd mean a lot for us if you took 60 seconds to review our show on iTunes so that others can find the podcast and hopefully find value in it as well. Of course, if you're new to us, our company Aurelius puts on this podcast, but we've also built a user research and insights tool for designers, researchers, and product leaders just like you. We help you get all of your research data in one place, tagged, organized, and shareable, so you can build awesome products and features with confidence based on what you know from your customers. We've got a 14-day free trial, and we really love having folks who follow us check it out and tell us what you think. You can find us at AureliusLab.com. That is A-U-R-E-L-I-U-S-L-A-B.com. So much for all that. Let's get it with Inside Aurelius, Episode 2. Don't you worry. Don't you worry your sweet little orange pants. All right. We're hot. <laughs> just as, like hot my, as hot as orange pants would be. Just like my orange pants. All right. Well, let's uh, start off. So let me start over. Let's start off this episode with something that we wanted to do last, last episode but did mm-hmm. not, which was what we are imbibing. Oh, well, if we're going to do that, <clears throat> we should talk about what we had last time. So Inside Aurelius, uh, episode one, mm. Joseph so graciously shared a Surly Darkness 2017, right? It was, 2017. It was amazing. Yes, the Russian was... Imperial Stout. Yeah, it was fantastic. It's a... Uh... So those not in the know, those who are outside of Minnesota, uh, Surly's kind of like our darling in the beer industry, I suppose. They helped push forward a lot of the craft beer industry. There already was a pretty decent craft beer industry here, but they really like blew the doors open on, I think, from a marketing standpoint. So it became a pretty big deal. And then Darkness was has every year they release a thing called Surly Darkness, which is their big, bold Russian Imperial Stout. And it's amazing. Yeah. They release it on a day called Darkness Day. Yep. And it's awesome. It's fantastic. It's uh, so where you started with this, though, is what are we imbibing? So that was last time and we in error uh, forgot to mention that that's we're going to try to make that a thing with our insider alias track. Yeah, we always we always like to have a either a cocktail or a beer um, while we get into it, even with every guest that we have just to kind of loosen up his attention. I mean, it's the way we work. I always when I work on Aurelius, it's my thing that I do after hours, and I want to unwind. So I usually will have, I'll get my my Balmer peak, you know, I'll have a beer or two and yeah. program for a while. Yeah, so. we know. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. We talked about the Balmer peak. Well, and like even I, uh, so we recorded a guest episode tonight. We're not going to talk about who that is because it has not yet been released. However, um, what I usually tell our guests is it's like, 
we don't have a script for our guest podcasts, right? It is a conversation, hopefully a smart conversation between myself and a brilliant guest. And the the point I was making there is I always tell them, think of it like a hallway conversation you have at mm-hmm. a conference you go to. And so you think about what goes on there, right? Like you go and you have a beer or you have a cocktail or so and you, you jam. Or other beverage. Yeah, whatever, right? And you jam about design and technology and building products and what is what this all means and you know you get into it and so that's that's what we try to recreate in our podcast and so far that's served us pretty well um we had great success with our first episode of inside aurelius too so we're going to keep the party going and so then tonight i have uh (laughs) for better or worse this is not our normal wheelhouse uh but i've got a this is just a regular Modelo, right Modelo especial Modelo especial which is a really solid beer i don't tip i don't choose the mexican beers like to buy at home right um but if i'm gonna if i'm gonna drink one outside of my own volition and uh purchases like this is the one i pick and so that's what you had on hand that's what i'm drinking that's not why people are here to listen to us yeah, although you haven't shared our, what you have this what is just you're our pouring intro, in your face intro random jibber jabber to get us in the mood to talk to each other because <laughs> we don't we, we're not good at that otherwise <laughs> what are you drinking though i already said i have modelo especial oh uh, yeah so i have i've actually got a beer from a local co-op brewery so it's a cooperative i'm actually a member of it called fair state mm-hmm. um and this beer is i don't remember the name of it actually offhand it's their uh, standard classic classic that was a classic yeah, i was right? gonna say standard but classic classic ipa okay you know this is inside aurelius episode two let's actually get down to some brass tacks right uh <clears throat> last time uh last time we were talking about you know a little bit how we got to where we are now with mm-hmm. version two, how, how and why we arrived at where we are. We sort of ended on this, this theme and this topic of research and developer collaboration, more specifically, like why developers should care about research. Right. Mm-hmm. But as we started chatting about, well, what's episode two going to be, even though these are obviously, obviously uh, <laughs> unscripted, um, we kind of wanted to talk a little bit more about like really the inside and inner workings of Aurelius. Yeah, that's true. Right. So you have some things on your mind too. Cause we, cause a lot of what we've been working on has not been immediately obvious, like customer facing, but it's been a lot of pretty serious upgrades on some stuff. Yeah. I guess from a tech perspective and like what's been going on in the background development wise, development and infrastructure wise, there's yeah. been a lot of stuff. I mean, if we really wanted to, we could even go all the way back to like when we first started Aurelius. Mm -hmm. Because like we said, we've built it a few times. Which version are you talking about right now, though? (laughs) All the way back. Yeah, we could go all the way back. Two two and a half years ago. Yeah. Okay. Um, Because originally when you, we've already mentioned when you first came to me, we built it in Angular Mm (laughs) 1.5. I think it was 1.5. Might have been even 1.4. But... (laughs) It was a while ago. Okay. Uh, I was teaching JavaScript at the time. So I was, I think it was teaching Angular to students and Angular was the, the uh, batteries included framework. You get everything with it. You can pick it up, use it. You have all, have, all the things you need, right? I have not heard that analogy oh, yeah, for a long time. Batteries included. I like that. Yeah. That used to be their selling point. I think it still kind of is. Cause, Wait, um, they actually used that tagline? Yeah, they did. Yeah. You, really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I kind of love it. Yeah, it's nice. Um, so then, like, actually, I've got a friend who's working at a local startup who's using Angular 5. Mm-hmm. And it's still 
it has everything. Like I was looking at his code and granted now it's written in TypeScript and it's a little bit different than what it used to be. It's a little bit more component based. It's a little closer to like a middle ground between what old Angular is and like what, you know, frameworks like React and Vue are trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, where it's got components and all this cool stuff, but it also has all the classic great stuff like dependency injection and things that make it a little bit more fun. And TypeScript gives you some extra stuff. So it's it's literally got everything you could possibly need to make a really good stable product. If you don't, if you, if it's your first framework, you're going to have, I think, a pretty good time with the newer versions. With the older versions, it was a little bit of a learning curve. It still is a learning curve because you have to do everything the Angular way. Okay. But I think because they've gotten a little bit more componentized and everything, you can kind of do what you want a little bit better. Only for those listening and even for myself, right? Like I know enough about dev and technology, mm-hmm. but componentized meaning. Yeah. So a component is basically like, let's say you've got a product page yeah, and you've got a call out. That's like, look at the, look at the thing, do the action CTA, right? Okay. Here's the call to action. The buy it now box with the button that does something, right? Yep. That could be a component. Reusable. That, that reusable yeah. thing that got you're it. probably going to have on a couple pages. Yep. <clears throat> And, and you can and like one one and done, right? Yeah. You like you make that and it's literally just drop it into wherever else. Yeah, instead of to having make. to copy and paste this in, this entire block of HTML, CSS, and JavaScript to write that thing, you componentize it, which means that you depending on the framework you're using, and a lot of newer frameworks, you do all of it in one. Mm-hmm. So you have a file, mm-hmm. that file is my component. And my component has its own locally scoped CSS that can't bleed into other stuff. Mm-hmm. Its own JavaScript that only interacts with it, and then its own HTML. And then they communicate to each other through, like, maybe you've got a page that has a bunch of components on it. It feeds data down into it, and then mm-hmm. the data kind of comes back up between them through something called state. Okay. <clears throat> or you can also use a state management system like Redux, MobX, Flux. There's a ton of them out there. Um, you can even use observable patterns, which is basically like, I have a library or a store of data that when I fire an event, it listens for it. And then whatever data I pass along to it, it'll grab and do whatever it needs to do based on your event. Yeah. So like, hey, I want to load the next, I don't know, let's say it's a, let's say that CTA, I'm using ours as an example. When I click monthly or yearly, I want it to flip over and switch the data that's on it. Yeah. So when I click on it, it has to, first, an animation has to occur. One div has to hide. Another one has to appear. There's a CSS transition or JS animation or something like that. Mm-hmm. So all that work happens within that component. And then it can communicate to the store to say, like, oh, they picked this one instead. So when they hit the Buy It Now button, it's the same button on both ones, on either one, I should say. But it's going to take you to the page with the correct one selected or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lots of examples I could go into, like, um, if you load a list of documents, let's say. Yeah. And you go, hey, um, this person clicked on this project, loaded the documents pertaining to that, that or the documents pertaining to that project yeah. only. Then you, the, the events can say, oh, I'll fire off an event. Something can listen to that. It can go make a fetch request or an HTTP request or an AJAX or whatever you want For to call data. it. For data. For data. Bring that down, shove it into the state. And then the, the state then drives the UI to update on a different component. Right. <clears throat> right. So somewhere else, there's the list that will display the content, and then that can render. Yeah. 
So. Well, without getting too squirrely here, because we're not, <laughs> I mean, so everybody who's in engineering at this listening right. to this is like, oh yeah, that makes they're probably sense. thinking I'm glossing over it too much, but yeah. yeah. Well, I know on the other side, I'm like, well, okay, I'm like hanging on to the edge, like mm-hmm. following you, right? So mm-hmm. basically what we're saying, uh, these components are ways of, of creating um, reusable, repeatable behaviors and interactions yeah which is something that ux can do right that's why i wanted to bring it back to that. yeah um when you look at the things on your site and you let's make it as simple as possible buttons sure if you make all the buttons look the same that you could consider that a component right but if that button behaves differently in different places it might not be the same component so you have to think about those things yeah Talk to the developers and be like, hey, if I, um, let's say the, the, there's a button that when I hover over it, it looks a certain way. When I click on it, it acts like a, like a submit. Mm-hmm. If I do the same thing somewhere else and it's a link, are they the same thing? Does it have to be the same thing? Mm-hmm. Nowadays, that's not, I'm exaggerating, that's probably an oversimplification. Well, but we've run into that, right? even, even that simple of a thing. But then you're like, oh, well, one's actually a button, like a, a submit button. One's an anchor tag, which you're right. links somewhere. Right. Those are different. Right. But I could build them as a component that I can tell it which one I want it to be and I can reuse it. Just having that little conversation makes that one step that easier, that much easier. Um, then all of a sudden you're like, okay, but I also want it so that when it's in the nav, I click on it and it drops down a drop down menu. And then you hover over that and they look the same. But then when I hover over it, another menu pops out and it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's a completely different thing. Like yeah. that's a that's a drop down menu. That's yeah. not even the same. Yeah. And on our side of the world, it looks the same. Right. So it is the same. Right. right. Which is not how it works in development. Of course. Looking the same, that's styling. Yeah. Yes, you can style components the same. And this is actually something I've run to at some other jobs too, where um, I've had ux try to develop in a componentized fashion Mm -hmm. because they they heard a lot about it and they knew that that's what they should be doing but in reality they just like made the styles look consistent which is good you should have consistency but then they're just like oh no we made it act like this now Uh, you know like they come back the next day with a new page and suddenly that component is completely different Mm -hmm. and like that that's not even the same thing anymore that's that's like a week of work what did you what why you didn't even talk to anybody did you <laughs> and like if you talked to them first they could have said well actually if you designed it like this okay we could totally do it way easier or whatever you know yeah i don't know where i'm going with this but well where you started with it was we were talking about things that we've been doing with the so like a lot of yeah this kind of behind the scenes under the covers kind of work um and then i less, got distracted well you know whatever right so we I kind of wanted to go back to what I was originally talking about was the tech stack, right? So we had right. Angular. Where we started, right. Yeah, then we rebuilt the whole thing over again with Angular again. But it was like whatever the latest version of Angular was. I think it was two at that point. I think it was. And then I was feeling some growing pains with it. and We had problems with Angular. And then I went on this like, okay, well, I, I think I'd been a developer for so long and done so much JavaScript that I wanted to do just like pure javascript html and css as much as i could so the majority of aurelius is literally that yeah it's just html css and javascript written as purely as possible with some tools to make that process easier i'll try not to get too deep into it into the woods here but um we were using a tool called webpack which is a bundler and this bundler can look at all of our files 
and say like, okay, the, the, the JavaScript is here and the JavaScript imports our CSS, mm -hmm. which is really weird. You don't normally do that, right? Normally the CSS is bundled with something else or it's written in a style sheet or whatever. And then I've got the HTML page, but it's not HTML. It's actually a different kind of template. Right. And then it pulls all that data together and creates the final product, which is the just... The thing you see, yeah. Right. But I'm able to write them all in tandem in that component-styled fashion, which mm -hmm. is nice. So uh, you can write a component um, that's HTML code that has a style tag that says import styles specific to that set of code yep, right? specific to yeah. that and then you'll say like okay let's say it's the drop down menu i've got drop down dot whatever the file extension is html tag whatever you want it to be mm -hmm, mm -hmm. then i write a css file called drop down dot css right and then i run it through a process called post css for those who are are familiar with post css it's basically a way to do like auto prefixing mm -hmm. which means supporting different browsers you can do backwards compatibility fixes. You can do stuff to use newer features of CSS that are like down the road now. So we're using things like variables, CSS mm -hmm. variables to just make it's it will be what CSS is eventually. It's just a little bit easier to write it now. That's all it does. Yeah. Um, well, I want to pause though for a second. And for the here's why we're talking about mm -hmm. this. What are the reasons we moved to that? Right. The the main reason that we moved. Let me finish up and then I'll come back to that. Okay. Um, and then the JavaScript, I'm doing something similar. I'm mm -hmm. writing pure JavaScript within a script tag mm -hmm. on the page. The, 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 the JavaScript is plain JavaScript. Like I could probably copy most of it, paste it into my console in Chrome or whatever and hit go and it would go. Some of it is requiring polyfills for older browsers. The polyfill is basically a way to say like, I'm going to uplift this browser by filling in the functionality that wouldn't exist otherwise, right? Mm -hmm. Like um, maybe there's a certain array method, like an array filter or something like that. Oh, let me think of one that actually is true. Um, array dot for each is okay. a, a newer method that doesn't exist on certain older versions of IE. Um, but it's really useful for me to type that in line um, rather than doing a, an old school for loop sometimes. Um, so I'll just, pull in this polyfill and it'll just handle it for me. And then there's tooling inside of Webpack to tell it like, oh, when I bring in this polyfill, only support certain browsers that we actually want to support so we don't pull in every single polyfill and make the whole thing giant and bloated. Because we want to keep the amount of code down, right? Yeah. Um, to make sure that those request, requests to the browser are fast. Um, but I'm also using something called Babel, which allows us to write future CSS. Mm -hmm. So I'm not just writing what's currently the standard is ES6 or ES2015. Um, the older version was ES5, and then there's ES8 and 7 and whatever, right? There's a bunch of different versions out there. The the like there's stuff coming up, coming up, coming up that's just makes our lives a lot easier. Mm -hmm. But because it's not supported by all the browsers, we use this thing that what's called transpiling, takes it and then rewrites the code basically for you programmatically like normalizes it normalizes it turns it into code that can be run on anything yeah um so those are the things that we chose and mm -hmm. the reason that we did that was because we didn't want to fight frameworks anymore was mm -hmm. i think the number one reason um we wanted to be able to do everything our own from the ground up to make it small simple fast and elegant mm -hmm. um i'm also a minimalist by nature mm -hmm. Um, so writing is little, sometimes I can write a little bit verbose code, 
but using those newer newer functions it'll cut it down quite a bit right and then i can also do things like um write components and write uh libraries my own libraries and stuff like that that'll make um the reuse of that code a lot easier you know following some of the basic principles of of writing code is like don't repeat yourself yeah. and um yeah, so I don't know. What were some of the other reasons from your perspective? Well, so what I was going to actually get to based on what you just said, though, too, why is that a big deal for us? Um, you said not fighting frameworks, being able to write it with less code, more sustainable, and as or more elegant, right? That's a big deal for us as a company and a product because there's two people working yeah. on it. It's just you and I, right? So for uh, anybody- and for those who don't, who don't know, Zach writes code. <laughs> that's true. I don't. I mean, I don't feel like I should really take a whole lot of credit for that, but- I mean, um, the whole marketing site, the whole, like if you go to AureliusLive.com, you designed and probably built most of it. I set up the framework and then I just hand it off to you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You well. I went and cleaned up like like a toddler. You you gave me the sandbox <laughs> and then I built the <laughs> the sandcastle. Yeah. Um. So that's a, that's actually a pretty interesting website in in my perspective because it was a super simple site. It's dead simple. It was basically here's a page where you can put a template on yeah. it. Um, and originally I think we wrote it in, was it EJS, which is, um, ex I think it's extended JavaScript templates or something like that before I think it was. <clears throat> yeah. We, we, we ended up rewriting it in Marco, which was actually a very painless process, switching from one to the other. Marco's eBay's, um, framework, which has okay. uh, server side rendering and also client side rendering. And that's eBay, the auction site for yeah. anybody who didn't catch that. It's extremely fast. Yeah. I was blown away by how fast it is, but. I basically have a little what's called Express, which is a JavaScript server. Um, I wrote it from the ground up because I'm weird like that. I don't like things that are magical. I don't like the reason I got away from Angular is because I didn't like the magic it would do in the background. It would do things with oh. stuff. And you're just like, what happened? Why don't I understand this? I think and, that's kind of a big deal. I actually want to talk about that because part of the thing with like how we do development, how we build our product, mm -hmm. the analogy that just came into my mind. So, um, I have a washer and dryer at home, right? As I'm sure most of you listening probably do, <laughs> right? You wash your clothes. The reason we bought that washer and dryer, one of the things that sold me on it, I can't speak for my wife, but um, the guy was like, well, here's the thing. The motors in these are what's called direct drive, okay? So a direct drive motor is this thing where like most other motors has the motor and it can text, it, 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 it has contact with all these other parts that then turn the drum. He's like, that's not the case with this. The motor goes to the drum and turns the drum. I'm like, that's the fucking way it should work. Like, <laughs> I'm serious. Like, that's the way I thought. I'm like, the power source, the thing driving it should drive the thing. There shouldn't be all these other points of failure in between. Mm -hmm. yeah, right? Like, it's in, it was just an issue. It's like the way that I think where, you know, we're sitting here thinking about not only building a website or an app, but a business. And mm -hmm. how can we scale that with as much reliability and confidence between two people as possible? Like to me, I'm like, yeah, yeah that direct drive. We want to know the problem or the solution either exists in A or B. <laughs> we don't want <laughs> A through J <laughs> to figure out, right? Like yeah, that direct true. drive is a big deal for us. Yeah. Direct drive. That's a good way to put it. It's funny because direct drive is actually the kind of turntable I have for my records. I know that's, that that's a different kind of podcast. Audio files are probably <laughs> cringing right now because it's you know not belt driven or something, but 
Anyway, yeah. yeah. Um, what were we getting at originally? Um, well, we chose those things and to, you know, why that tech stack matters. behind. So actually, I want to share. We have know, a lot of, the, actually, something I've been getting into is that I want to be able to have a lot of different tech stacks that are all specific for the thing that they do. Something I've been getting. Even within our own product, you're mm, thinking? Okay. Maybe. There's an idea that I've been coming up with. Um, so there's there's a thing in development right now that's really big called microservices. Yeah. Which is something we've yeah. been experimenting with. We're building a few here and there. We're basically like, instead of having a giant app that runs all of your APIs. Monolith. A monolithic, yep, API. Or even, uh, I mean, even a more classic version where it's running the website server-side rendering, connections to the database, the whole nine yards, business logic, everything is in this one thing. Then, So that was classic, right? Then then the monolith API was we split out all the all the, the data access and business layer. and we turned that into a service layer. Yeah. Then it was, okay, well, now we expose these as APIs. Now we're going into micro APIs, which is where we take all, like eBay's, or sorry, not eBay, um, Netflix. Netflix is a big example Yeah, where they have like, 500 of them or something like that. Should we tell everybody, in case anybody doesn't know who Netflix is? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> ah, yeah, ah, right. ah, ah, ah. <laughs> You're a funny guy. Ah, to funny, funny how, Mike? Like, how am I funny? <laughs> <laughs> so they've got, yeah, basically, like, you, it's a little bit more complicated to um, manage them all. Mm-hmm. But when you use certain um, infrastructure you can manage all that really easily through code right Mm. i'll go more into that later maybe but um essentially what it is is let's say like on our website we've got products the products page or sorry the um projects well no i mean like when you're trying to buy the product we've got the oh yeah the the different things that you can buy you've got the uh you can straight up buy the product Mm -hmm. you can get a free trial or you, and you can also buy two different versions of it. You can buy the uh, the yearly plan or the monthly plan. Yeah. Um, when you make that purchase, it goes to just a purchase API that lives on its own server all by itself, because there's already a bunch of people doing work on Aurelius, uploading tons of notes and stuff. Why would we want our purchase API to be connected to those mm-hmm. and living on the same server? Mm-hmm. Because then we're gonna have to make you know this hugely scalable server with like tons of memory and tons of RAM and maybe even replicate it six times horizontally. It's just tons of scaling, right? Yeah. Whereas we can just be like, there's this one tiny little thing that does this one little thing. Cause like how often does somebody sign up and we want that experience to be fast and seamless. Well, more importantly, you don't want that to interrupt something that's happening with existing customers. Yeah. So the uh, also and, yeah exactly. I mean the interesting thing that I pull out of that just from my perspective, my side of the world, quote unquote, um, which <laughs> for for anybody new to this, I guess my side of the world is like the business and the product and the experience mm-hmm. thing, right? Is that's a big deal? It's it's a big deal experience consideration because even fundamentally, if if technologically it never affects them, fundamentally it's like, why should I be stealing bandwidth? or technical capability from people who paid for and are using the product now to allow people to sign up like that fundamentally like that's a what you know what i mean like that doesn't make any sense that exactly brings me back to my second to my original point that i was like the the micro api is a example of that yeah that's like a a point of of uh, it's a bottleneck right the other thing i've been working on and thinking about more is micro apps so instead of making 
one giant website that handles everything, we make lots of little websites that all live everywhere and they can be written in whatever we want them to be written in. I mean, it's not a new concept. This mm -hmm. is something that I've been kind of on overdrive with, I guess. And um, so like our, our uh, marketing site, yeah. the, if you go to the homepage, is it one is one website. Yeah. Built in a, its own thing, optimized for that. If you go to our blog site, that's something completely different. I think that's actually still on Angular. We have to update that eventually. But. Mm, yeah, we got some other things to do there. Yeah, we'll get to that when we've got time. Well, we're going to edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when you go to the um, the sign-in page, that's actually a separate application yeah. than the app itself. That'll eventually turn into something else maybe because it's the, it's the sign-in portal. It also handles some other stuff like forgot password and like things that aren't locked down. But are app based so we put that on its own url and then the insights app itself really insights is when you log in you go to insights.aureliuslab.com that's its own app yeah. and that app actually it's pretty lightweight it's just a you download you know a index file and some javascript and it builds the page for you and you go and it downloads all the data from the services so but then i'm i've been thinking more and more about like how do we keep maintaining all these it's easier when they're mm -hmm. tiny little it's the same with microservices mm -hmm. They're easy to maintain when they're small and have a singular purpose. They're easier to delete if you need to. Because we, I mean, man, we've migrated services, like service providers a ton of times and hosting yeah, platforms. Short life, and, yeah. Like, and there's been times that we've been like, I'm going to delete a whole crap ton of stuff and we're just going to rebuild it. You know, like, um, for example, the homepage. Yeah. It used to be part of that Angular ecosystem, and it was getting really hairy and really complicated, and I hated repeating myself. Like the, like the the page that loaded your projects. Not the project page, but like where all of your projects kind of came in, right? No, I'm Just talking like about them. even like how the blog is its own thing now. That's yeah. because I deleted the rest of it. <laughs> okay. Because okay. it used to be a um, our entire everything, basically. I see. It was oh, literally yeah, everything lived there. Yeah. And we just whittled off parts yeah. and rebuilt so, them. So like aureliuslab.com was like everything. the beginning of everything yes. right yes it's bad it's bad jojo bad juju <laughs> i'm i'm the jojo i guess <laughs> you are the jojo it was bad jojo and bad juju actually <laughs> yeah so like i don't know just being able to make things maintainable and easy and repeatable or not repeatable um deletable i think guess is more important don't repeat yourself we love to delete one. shit yeah yeah delete shit make it easily easily deletable and like i've rebuilt our even our current app we rebuild it over and over and over three times three entire times since we've been in business but even like the current instance of the app we've rebuilt internally parts of it over yeah, and over totally we've mi migrated service providers that run over and over i mean when we first started we were on digital ocean we had our wordpress site um, the WordPress site is what got replaced with Angular. We had, it's Angular with side. like a MongoDB, I think, in the background. Um, we had what was what did you say? Oh, on the marketing side, yeah, marketing side, like the yeah, yep. not and the then, app, the thing. Well, yeah. and then we realized maintaining servers was a pain in the ass for only two people, so we ended up migrating to Heroku. Now we're on Zeit or Zeit, I think it's Zeit. Might be German, maybe that's pretty Zeit. recent. Yeah, which is like very recent. It's pretty fun. I like those guys a lot. I like what they're doing. They're doing a lot of stuff with um, the microservices and um, being able to quickly build and tear down apps and like a lot of open source software. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's cool stuff. I like those guys a lot. Yeah. You know, what I think would be fun to talk about hmm. the conversations and 
uh, balance we had to strike between doing this stuff. That's the tough part. And the things customers can touch and feel, right? Because like that's, this is the stuff. So we're, we're, this is the podcast, Inside Aurelius. Yeah. I, I can sit here and write blog posts and talk to customers and be like, we got all this great stuff. But they don't see like what happens behind the scenes. Um, I mean, here's why I think that's fun to talk about is because people are like, I really like your app. I think it's really well designed. It's really well built. But what they don't see are the challenges, the conversations and the trade-offs mm-hmm. and the agreement that you and I go through to like come to this <laughs> actual absolute middle ground where, because yep. it can't all be features, 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 cool stuff all day long. And, and it certainly can't all be amazing technology because then nobody cares, oh, right. right? Like, Oh, I'd be rebuilding it every every month if I could. Right. And I'd be launching a new feature every week if I could. Right. And that's it's not about rebuilding it or launching new features necessarily. Launching new features is good. Mm-hmm. Rebuilding things is good. Deleting stuff is good. All these things that we keep talking about are good, but they all serve a purpose. Right. Yeah. Well, let's guess. I mean, even the most recent thing, like you so we recently migrated to Z. Yep. That was a thing for us. Yep. That was mostly a cost savings thing because sure. Heroku is, I thought, a huge time saver for us. And we were willing to pay that extra little bit of money mm-hmm. to yeah. not have to manage our own servers anymore. And that's an important call out. Like we went to Heroku because we were like, it costs more, but what it gains us in time and efficiency yep. to, say, for instance, build new features, yep. we were willing to pay for that. I could, from the command line where I'm writing my code, just type a couple of commands and boom, we'd have a website up and running. Mm. But then it, when we started having to deal with things like scalability, that was a big one was scaling, supporting the EU more and mm-hmm. some of the other places in the other side of the world that we're Which in now. We're starting to see a lot of people interested in what we're doing yeah. there. And Australia, in, in Australia. Shout out to you, in, peop- to you people in Australia. For anybody listening, my goodness, thank you so <laughs> much. I, I think everybody in Australia is using Aurelius <laughs> right now. I'm like really, really excited about that. That's super cool to me. Yeah, we've got, I mean, people in India, tons yeah. of people in the UK. Like, yeah. It's surprising because when we built this thing, we thought we were going to be like a local local company that... Midwest. Yeah. US-based primarily. Yeah. yeah and like, the majority of people are all over the world. It's awesome. Yeah. So, actually, actually, more often than not, even recently, which is an interesting thing. Yeah. An inside Aurelius point. I mean, I pay a lot of attention to that. A lot of our new customers and trial users come through in the uk um from australia the eu yeah which is awesome super cool anyway please continue um so the yeah the primary factor there was that we were going to be spending a tremendous amount of money to be able to support that infrastructure um also ever since they got bought out by salesforce they've been pushing this more like corporate agenda Mm. um and where it's like we want to integrate with your uh vpn or your your uh, what's the word for it uh the thing where you log in active directory oh yeah single sign-on active single sign-on all this stuff Mm -hmm. like all this corporate stuff that we don't even really care about right like locking down permissions for all these different teams and like i've had calls with them at, at companies i've worked at um big and small where i felt like they were they weren't focused on the developer anymore. They were focused on the developers at a company now rather than like the 
that used to be a bootstrap, you know, rails kind of guy who was going to stand something up quick. And now I felt just it's changed a bit in my opinion. So I've been doing research on it and listening to my own podcast. And I read and listen to podcasts all day long. Basically any moment I'm not working, I'm working doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, Happened across Zeep. They already contributed a ton to the React environment, and I love React as well, and I do a lot of work in React. And I was super excited to to use some of their tools, and I've used, um, gosh, uh, Micro is one of their frameworks for making microservices in an Express-like environment. Uh, I think it's actually smaller than Express. It's like this one, it's like two lines of code to make a server. It's insane <laughs> to make an API server. Um, there's, anyway, I could go on and on about these guys. They got like, ton, tons of good stuff. Um, but then I was looking at their pricing and yeah. what they offer, and they just, just like two weeks ago or something like that, maybe it was a month at the most, um, released, they started their second in, um, uh, uh, location. So they've got a, a server farm in San Francisco, and they just opened one in Brussels. Mm-hmm. I think they're probably working off of a, they're basically an abstraction layer over a bunch of other infrastructures. Mm-hmm. So that I think they run on top of Google, um, AWS, and Azure, oh, really? and probably others. But they abstract it all away so you don't know about it. Basically, it's like mm-hmm. they wrote a bunch of AWS lambdas and Google functions to like run a, a server farm for you effortlessly, just mm-hmm. through code. So you can, from a command line or even a GUI, you can drag and drop a file into it and it's instantly on a website. Hmm. It's amazing. That's neat. Yeah, it's cool. And it would just, it was like way more developer focused Mm -hmm. and especially on the JavaScript guys like me Mm -hmm. where I'm doing like server-side rendering of React apps or Mm -hmm. something like that. Mm -hmm. And like they build stuff for people like that and they're just like, it's good. It's good stuff. And like, it just got me excited. And then I read their documentation. Their documentation was really good. And then after, I don't know, I've been deliberating over it for about a month, right? Well, I think we've been talking about it for even longer than that. Yeah, and then one night I just went, fuck it, I'm going to do it. <laughs> well, we decided that. Yep. Well, and I think it's, so even some of the points that you've been bringing up, um, just to share my perspective of the world, right? So, like, pretty obvious reasons why on the technology side of the world we would move to that, yeah. right? Oh, and also auto-scaling out of the box yeah that was for big free like it's not an additional feature that was a huge deal yeah right and so like some of the things you were saying you know so i'm just gonna it's like go for it different side of the same coin where i'm sitting there thinking okay like for us as a business for us as a product and how we serve customers what does it mean for them well it's a couple different things first of all we save money on server costs Yep. That's always a good thing for a business. If you yeah. can save a, a, we cut a business our, money. We cut our costs in um, down to one-tenth of what they were. Well, I was going to say a modest guess is 25% of what they were. Yeah. Which is a big deal for a two-person, 100% bootstrap company. It's actually, I think, 9% of what they were originally or something like that. Right, whatever it is, right? So there's that number one is like, okay, like mm-hmm. you have my attention, right, for the things that I would be thinking about. Then we thought about it from the perspective of like the product and the experience where we're like, well, look, we can get auto scaling and propagation, meaning just server farms access in other parts of the world yeah, the DNS where our customers are. Is instant. We can instantly. Oh, and the other thing with Heroku is when we wanted zero downtime deployments, it was actually like it's going to cost us more. Well, no, we had it. We had it configured, but it was like a three minute delay. OK, so when I'd be like, Zach, go test that thing in three minutes. Whereas now I'm like. It's up. Yeah. The moment I press the button, it's up. 
Yeah. Which is also helpful. Well, okay, so where I was going with this, though, is like two more big, big benefits for what that means for us as a business mm -hmm. and a product, right? Uh, so the obvious business thing, we save a shit ton of money. That's great for yep. any business, especially one that is bootstrapped yep. in two people like you and me. Yep. The second thing is why that's awesome for a business is we're sitting here talking about supporting a bunch of customers in other locations around the world, right? We are gaining popularity in the UK, EU, and Australia. Again, thank you so much for you beautiful people who are finding what we're doing. Like that's <laughs> a couple of uh, a couple of dudes sitting in Midwest uh, United <laughs> States. That's awesome, right? And so that's cool because what that does, then does is like migrating to this Zeet thing is that we be able to serve the product faster to you. That's important to people doing yep. this work. So then the third thing, which I don't think a lot of product people and like experienced designers may think about this kind of stuff. But for me, it was actually twofold. So what it does like for internally our company. So the one thing is you were like, I'm excited about this. I think it makes my job easier. I am interested mm -hmm. in it. I'm like, well, that's cool, right? Like we should do stuff that we're passionate about, we're interested in because that helps drive us forward. So there's a benefit. Yep. But then the other benefit on, again, this is like a thing that I don't believe experienced designers think about is that um, what that then does is it frees up the amount of time, you know, in your case, technology and engineering has to spend on keeping the product running in a healthy state and it gives more time to us being able to build more cool shit in the future yeah. it was an investment we had to make now to say we don't have not headaches is the wrong word but like we don't have these considerations and just time that we have to invest in the future on doing this stuff so now we can just focus on build it deploy it build it deploy it build it deploy <laughs> it, right and we don't run into some of these other things where Maybe it wasn't a big deal, but let's say it amounted to five or 10 hours of work a month. Well, dude, that adds up pretty quickly. It does, yeah. In terms of like what you can provide in the experience all of a sudden and what you can build and what you can and, and upgrade, even small enhancements on the on features and experience, right? Like focus on more the customer facing stuff exactly my point it's, it's all in the background the stuff that we've been working on lately is like background noise exactly my point it's setting us up for all of this i mean i'm biased and i'm not going to apologize for it really cool shit that i think we're doing in the future yeah things that we're working on even right now is to where it freezes up to just go and it's one of those things that like i don't feel like enough people talk about in building a business and building a product mm-hmm Right, because like there's folks on your side of the world who are like, "Yeah, I'm an engineer, though. I just want the, everything to be technologically sound and like bulletproof and awesome." And Which is people, impossible, <laughs> right? You'll never get there, right? And then there's people on my side of the world who are like, "Yeah, but I want everything to be interesting and creative and like yeah, super popular and, and beautiful." Mm -hmm. And you'll never 100% get there either, right? And to meet it's both a, of those, it's a good balance. Yeah, to, but to meet both of those, to like understand this these underpinnings this like hidden layer which is the stuff we're talking about right now of like okay wait a minute we do this which is an investment to allow us to just absolutely smash out awesome new features and stuff later and just really go like yep. really uh to use product development process like research a bunch act on it 
iterate, research a bunch, act on it. Because then we don't have to worry about infrastructure. We don't have to worry about like process. And Sometimes you have to pay for that. And sometimes you can save money doing it too, right. which is the funny thing. But either way, you got to be conscious about the decisions you make. You have to make the decisions. And that kind of thing. Actually, constantly, yeah. like what, I'm, what I do is I constantly research and think about it and learn about it, talk about it in the hallways with people and just get jazzed about what I do. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you and I come together and we do, we both do that in our own respective fields and in our own respective disciplines. Mm-hmm. And then we meet together and we come up with these really cool ways of building stuff that's like fast. We can build it fast mm-hmm. and well. Yeah. And it looks good and it feels good and it's like good enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and that's the weird thing between you and I where in previous life, certainly when we worked together back at the nerdery. Good enough was never good enough for me. Yeah. But the weird thing about it is like you and I, um, and this is totally a compliment to you, by the way, you and I's version of good enough is just, and I don't mean to be like disrespectful to anybody else, but I feel like it's several layers above what good enough means in a lot of other aspects and places of the world. But it's not perfection. No, it's not perfection. But like when, when it is good enough for us, it's like what we mean by good enough is like this ought to be really, really good for you. Yeah. Not insanely exceptional, but like, this should be really good for you. And we won't do it if it's not that. It's funny because I was just talking with a customer today. It's funny because all of this is related (laughs) to that conversation. I was actually talking with this customer and, uh, you know, this person was asking me about a couple competitors of Mm -hmm. ours. And uh, the person flat out asked me like, hey, we're looking at this person and this person companies, right? And uh, I don't mean to be um, rude or whatever. I'm just kind of curious. Like, why do you think we should use you instead? I said, nope, totally understand. Um, I am happy to answer that question. I'll tell you why. One of the reasons I said, because I had actually, I have firsthand experience with both these competitors, by the way. And I said, look, I, I, I'll be straight up with you. The, the obvious stuff, number one, is that we are built for you. So some like most of our competitors at Aurelius, let's just call it for what it is straight up. And I'm not trying to start a turf war. I want everybody to succeed, right? Yep. But let's just call it what it is. A lot of the tools people are using to do the things we do at Aurelius, research and insights, they are trying to hack and shoehorn tools that weren't built for that. Yeah, that's true. So, so the first thing I told this person, I said straight up, let's call it for what it is. We are built for you. We're built... And we support your process and the way you think and the way you want to work. These other tools can help you do that, but you have to do the work to get them there. So, mm-hmm. like, let's just agree to that and get that out of the way. I said the second thing, a lot of these tools, if not all of them, are actually built on pretty predictable tech stacks. They are on a SQL database with, like, pretty predictable technology and, like, everything's got to be in its place in this way. And that's part of the reason why you have to work to make it fit your needs. As a whereas us, the technology we chose allows everything we do to be super flexible because we know that's the way you're going to work oh, in this kind of data. changing it too, yeah. Right? And, and so the example I gave was just even the fact that we use a graph database as opposed to a SQL database. That allows us to do some very important things with how user researchers and product leaders want to manipulate and combine and use data that would be a lot harder if we did not use that and so our competitors are using not a graph database for instance in a lot of cases right right and so i was like that's this that's the second thing and i and i said honestly the third thing is that everything we do is grounded in something we learned from people (laughs) like you 
Yeah, it's all reality to us. It's work all, that we've done, things that pain that we felt. We, I, I can say this with absolute confidence. We have never come together, and either of us had an idea on something we should do with the product, or technology, or the company that was not driven by something we knew or heard or researched from our customers or the market. Yep. None of it. None of it has ever been like, oh, dude, I had this idea. You know what we should just do? Yeah. Always it's been, I've been talking with some people or I've been reading trends or I've been seeing and hearing this. What does that mean for us? And then we, and then we talk about what that is. We synthesize. We analyze what that means to us, and then we make decisions from it. Mm-hmm. And that's led us to where we are today, right? So, like, immediately, we we just did all those technology upgrades, right? Migration yep. to Zeet, stuff like that. Yep. Now, we're working on brand new features. The two of which are our next up, and we're calling them collections and our master search. The master search is pretty self-explanatory. It's, like, going to be... Google search for all your research data and customer feedback, right? If it's in Aurelius. And then collections are going to be this place where you can take all of that stuff and put it somewhere and then share it with somebody so they can make better decisions from it. But we specifically chose not to release either of those things except in tandem together. Yep. Right? So why is that? I was talking with a person about this today. The biggest reason was, as I said, look, you're going to be able to search everything in Aurelius, right? By keyword, and it'll give you results about everything. Everything we have, not just notes, but everything. We can launch that today, that master search. But what's going to happen is we know, we already know because we did the research. We know how people are working. You're going to do that search. You're going to want to do something with the results. If we launch that without the ability for you to do something with those results, Right. Then you're just going to be pissed at us. Or you're going to be frustrated and like, oh, it's almost there. Yeah, you can do some stuff, but you can't do the thing you want to do. Exactly. Even though you might not know what that is yet. (laughs) You can't reach the outcome you want to come to. And so that's why we're like, nope, even though this is pretty much done, half of it. Yeah. We're not doing it until it's as fully, minimally as valuable as it can be. And that's the way we work. That's the way we advocate other people work. And we advocate you do that by talking to customers, learning about how they're working, what they need, not what they want. Don't ask people what they want. That doesn't matter. (laughs) They don't know what they want. They're just going to give you an answer. Yeah, that's true. What their behavior is and what they need. And then make smart decisions from that. And And frankly, that's what our software is helping you do. That's why we care so much about it. Yep. That's it. What, are we done? We're just going to stop recording now? Yep, bye. <laughs> Drop the mic. <laughs> Zach's out. <laughs> yeah, Joseph can keep talking. I'm going to leave. No, it's just like a lot of interesting. Like, whenever we have these conversations, I always have to go away and think about it, too, because I'm that kind of person who absorbs information and thinks. <laughs> well, that's kind of why we're sharing this stuff, right? We want We want everybody to think. We want everybody to be more intentional, be more mindful in the stuff they're building. Absolutely. Man, the amount of time that I spend thinking about everything I'm building is it's, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. And if, I'm gonna, I feel like I'm going to be on a soapbox if I keep going. <laughs> Do it. Uh, actually, I'm going to, 
I'm going to give you something to be on your soapbox about. So sure. you remember in this video I made, yep. it was like a short clip I shared on our blog. Oh God, I think over a year ago now, but product strategy, Wyatt Earp style. Mm -hmm. So Wyatt Earp, uh, a famous lawman, gunman in uh, Tombstone, Arizona, right? Back in the Wild West days. Famous quote from him goes, um, fast is fine, accuracy is final. He's talking about gunfighting, right? Right. Fast is fine, accuracy is final. In a gunfight, you need to learn how to be slow in a hurry. Yeah. What that meant for me, like that shit, that resonates with me. Because, it does, it does. Because building products, doing the stuff we do, we have agile. We have all the newest tools. Oh yeah, not to everything can every, overlap and integrate. Not and do to mention everything. all the big software giants are like move fast and break things, and, and it's just, all bullshit. Yeah, that's just, bullshit. It is because just going right to use the analogy of a gunfight, it's just pow, 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 pow. Hope you hit something. Spray, yep. Spray, Hope you hit something. Spray and pray is what they're doing. Right. Hope you hit something. But really, fast is fine. Accuracy is final. Accuracy wins. Accuracy keeps you alive. But if you're too slow. Right. So there's a, I mean, of course, there's a balance yep. to be struck. You don't, don't just mope along, right? <laughs> but, but understand when too fast is just fast for fast sake. Oh, and half the time there's things that we could release way out, way ahead of when we want to release it. We could just do it. We could. Oh, we could just hack that together and release it. Why not? Well, it's not going to be useful then. It's just drowning people. Yeah. With things that, you know, that's a really f funny, f cool point mm. that, you know, I, you know what I hear a lot from our customers and people who love what we're doing? What's that? Dead serious. They say, I love how simple Aurelius is. And I actually take that as a huge compliment. I don't yeah. take that as like a dig at all. Like, oh, they don't have all these features. In fact, they find that a virtue in us. They say, Actually, one of our customers, I think, I think there's a testimonial on our website about this. They said the, the, the power of Aurelius is um, uh, simplistic elegance or something like that. Ooh. I can't remember how they worded it, but it was basically to suggest like it has everything you need and none of the things you don't. Mm -hmm. And like that's, that's actually a huge deal for us. That's a humongous compliment for me, which is to say we're doing the things that matter most to you. Fast is fine. Accuracy is final. You have to not just build great software. You have to build the right great software. You can Absolutely. build shit that's fun and cool and popular, but if it's not solving anybody's problem, if yep. it's not meeting people's needs they have today in their lives, then it's gone. Then it's only cool, it's only interesting, and it's only popular for a while. Yeah, it's like the same thing that I was kind of trying to get at when I was talking about like picking tech stacks and stuff. Mm -hmm. It's like pick what works, what gets your work done. But if you build it in the right way, you don't have to worry about that. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, did I pick the wrong thing or will it not live as long as I want it to? Nothing lasts forever, first of all. Mm -hmm. Every tech I've ever built is going to be obsolete at some point. Every soft, every piece of software. I mean, the only what what do you still use? It's twenty years old, right? Like when it comes to like technology or software, email. Yeah, well, that's it. Barely. Why? <laughs> but like um, any 
Oh, actually, the Space Jam website. Just, <laughs> is that still actually up? It's actually still up, but it's pretty hilarious. Somebody's paying for that, and it's an intentional choice. Oh, yeah. I just recently I went back and saw it again. I was like, this is still up. I thought it was a joke five years ago, and it was still up, but it's still up. But then, but then somebody was like, oh, wait, that yeah, I am still paying for that, and I'll continue to do so. keep going. <laughs> yeah. But um, you don't be afraid to, to – when I say – I think when they say move fast and break things, they don't mean. I think people who are smart about it don't mean just build shit and like for no reason, Mm -hmm. you know, like build things that you think people need and that you've done the research and that you believe people need. And then if it turns out to not be what they need, well, you didn't spend a lot of time on it, hopefully. Yeah. Um, But if it is and you built something that's, good and the technology isn't great and their user experience is like mediocre you can fix that you can Mm. change that technology yeah quickly yeah that's also important that's the like move fast break things don't be afraid to burn it down and start over don't be afraid to rebuild it as long as you're in the right direction yeah and that Wyatt Earp example the reason that's so completely agree the reason that's such a big deal to me is it's like aim at the right thing make sure you might have to shoot thing you might have to shoot a few times maybe and that's okay but yeah. if you're shooting a few times at the wrong thing, you're definitely dead, right? Yeah. And that's kind of what you're saying is like, aim at the right thing. It doesn't matter if it takes you, you know, a couple runs at it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and let's just all sit here and agree. It will. You won't get it right the first time. But if you can have confidence you're in the right direction, and the only way you can do that, the only way you can have confidence you're going in the right direction is by understanding your customers is by doing research with them, spending some time yep. figuring out what that means, and then moving in that direction. But if you do that, you've built this foundation of confidence. Businesses die on that mm-hmm. because they never start there. They're just like, there's this cool idea. And look, <laughs> I got everybody excited about it. It's like, yeah, let's build it. It'll be fun. And then you and you build this massive like state-of-the-art thing around an idea that people just thought was cool it was like a toy it happens and then it goes away right away listen i'm not here to tell people not to do that but i know that most people listening to this that's not what they want to build and that's not what their job is more importantly right understanding people aiming in the right direction and then let's all agree that we're going to we're going to iterate within this confines of the right direction but we're all going to be sure that the vision and the direction is is the right one I feel like that's a solid place to stop I do too yeah I think I peaked for the, <laughs> I think I peaked for the night Good, All right cuz I'm slumping <laughs> All right all right all right well I think uh we'll go ahead and wrap up this episode this has been another good chat you know, one of the things I didn't do last time is I didn't talk about some stuff that we're doing. All right. So obviously, those of you who might be new to us, um, we run the Aurelius podcast with guests who are leaders in the space of user experience design, product strategy and development, um, as well as user research. You can go check out that other track as well. Uh, would love to hear what you think about that. But also, everything Joseph and I have been talking about, our own product, our own company, Aurelius, it's a user research and insights platform. And that helps people just like you and me who are trying to build software and make better decisions 
based on something we actually learned from customers. And we help you get all that information in, add it, tag it, organize, search, create key insights, empower people to make decisions off of that so that you can make smarter designs, products, and features in your work today. We have a 14-day free trial. Go check it out. We'd love to hear what you think. Um, it's just Joseph and I, so <laughs> we really do care and we really do listen to everything that our customers and even our trial customers come in and tell us about it. So Yeah, hit us up on Twitter. That's right. That's right. Check us out on Twitter. We post the podcast on SoundCloud and Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn and wherever else I can get my hands on a bunch of Slack channels that I'm involved in and try to share that oh, out. Oh, yeah, so you're all over there. I try to be. I don't, have much, <laughs> I don't have a ton of time to really engage, and I feel a bit guilty about that, but I do, I do what I can. So, yeah, and uh, let me tell you what. Anybody listening, if you have any questions for us or things that you would like to hear us discuss, send us an email. Yeah, Go right to our awesome. website. Um, I'd love to do that because I think that'll be one of the things we do on the Insider Alias track soon yeah some questions and chat about that on the on the website where the video sorry where the audio will be posted there will be a uh text or a what's the word i'm looking for discuss comments area yeah comments area there will be a comments area also we will probably put this on youtube so you can mm -hmm. comment on there um yeah just up on twitter where we want we will respond yeah for sure or we also have a chat box on our website. That's true. Just hit us up directly. Lower right-hand corner. And uh, very likely you'll be talking to me directly. I do everything <laughs> I can to answer every single one of those personally. And hey, just to let you know, uh, we do this stuff because we really do care about people doing this work better. We do really, really believe that people thinking about this more, being more mindful, we can all make the world a little bit of a better place step-by-step. And the reason I mention that is because if you got something out of this episode, if you get something out of the podcast, it means a lot for us to uh, have you share it, comment, rate it on iTunes, other places. It, it really does help people find the show. And uh, you're doing your part in those little baby steps to helping make the world a little bit of a better place, I hope. So it mm -hmm. means a lot to us. With that, we'll wrap it up. Joseph. Cool. Thank you. Thank Fun. you. <laughs> All right, everybody. See you next time.